Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you all. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Dark Side of the Podcast. I know you were probably expecting Grilling JR, but we've got a little bonus content for you here today. I figure since we're all quarantined, might as well make the most of it. And what we as wrestling fans have been talking about for about a week now is Dark Side of the Ring. We saw the Crispin Wah story last week, and later tonight, we'll see the debut of the New Jack episode on Vice. And I thought, man, it might be a good idea to get the guys behind the documentary in here and break down each episode of the series. And that's what we're going to do right here on the Grill and JR channel. So make sure to tell the friend, hit the subscribe button, and spread the word about this wonderful series that's been put together. Uh, for vice. And by the way, if you don't have vice, don't fret, uh, episode one and two of the Chris Benoit story are both on YouTube right now. I encourage you to go watch that episode if you haven't already, and then come back and press play and hear a little bit of behind the scenes from the two guys who helped spearhead this and make it happen for all of us. Of course, we're talking about Evan Husney and Jason Eisner. So let's get into it guys. I'm really excited to be here. The talk of the internet. Uh, for the last week or so has been the vice documentary that you guys dropped on Chris Benoit and you guys tried something a little different. You, uh, you did a YouTube release of part one, a man that had the internet a buzz. And then we got to see the full sort of super episode. Uh, so I guess two parts here, Jason, I'll let you start first. Why did you think the Benoit episode was the one to start season two with? Well, um, originally, uh, when we were kind of on this like hiatus between season one and season two, uh, Evan and I were trying to figure out what we were going to do next. And we really wanted to do the, the, the Benoit story, um, for the first season. Uh, but we ended up having like our season, um, episode order, like cut short last minute. Uh, so originally we were supposed to do eight episodes in season one. Uh, but we only ended up doing six, which actually really worked out in our favor so that we could really like spend the time focusing on those six episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, but we always wanted to uh, do this story. And Evan and I were trying to develop it as its own separate thing. We thought maybe we would do um, like just a separate documentary that could be like two or three episodes. Um and it wasn't until we got the order for season two that we thought, well, you know what? Why don't we try and do this as like the season premiere? And maybe we could convince Vice to let us do it as a two-part uh, episode, uh, which they were totally on board to do. Well, it's, uh, it's interesting that this topic is, is finally covered because it feels like it's been sort of no man's land for... A lot of folks in the wrestling world, especially those in WWE, you know, of course, in season one, we saw contributions from Bruce Pritchard, who's now with WWE and Eric Bischoff, who was there for a cup of coffee. 
<laughs> I don't imagine that you had very much support from the WWE side of things on covering Benoit. Evan, did you hear anything, any rumblings about WWE being upset about you guys touching on Benoit? Cause it feels like they'd like to just pretend it never happened. No, we, uh, we haven't heard anything from the WWE, uh, uh, as far as it goes for this episode or really any of the other episodes that we've done. Um, and I think, you know, just to go on what Jason was saying, I think that was a huge part of why we wanted to tell the story was that it just seemed like there was no real platform or avenue for a lot of the folks involved in this episode to talk about it. Because when we reached out to people like Vicky Guerrero and David Benoit and Chris Jericho and Dean Malenko, even like a lot of them wanted to share their stories and wanted to share their experiences with this. And, um, and it just seemed like they had been kind of waiting for that opportunity or that sort of platform where they could share that. And so, you know, it was, that was kind of one of the big eye opening things for us was like, you know, we, we didn't want to just make it about, you know, uh, opening old wounds. Like we wanted this to be something that could be therapeutic and healing and, and to have people talk about it in a, in the most constructive way possible. So let's talk about that because it is interesting that you have to sort of examine such a major thing that happened from so many different angles. I, I felt like you guys did a great job of sort of telling the story from the family perspective. Uh, and from the WWE perspective and, and from the fan perspective, you sort of had to serve a lot of masters here. And I assume that when you're trying to tell a story from all angles like that, you've probably got quite a guest list that you'd like to have. Was there anybody, you know, you talked about some folks who were maybe jumping at the chance to tell their story. Was there anybody you reached out to that was on the, the wish list that for whatever reason, didn't think this was something they should discuss? Yeah. The, the only the only person who was really on the list that um, uh, that that we wanted to have in the story, someone that we planned originally to have in the story, uh, was Kevin Sullivan. Was someone that we wanted to participate in the story, um, mostly because you know he was there, you know, so early on in Nancy's career, sure. and uh, and and highlighting Nancy's career was such an important aspect of doing this project. Um, as her legacy has been so tarnished and swept under the rug after all these events in 2007 that we felt like it was really important to highlight that. And Jason and I are just huge fans of, of, you know, Nancy's and, and, and her whole era as the fallen angel, as, uh, you know, that especially, but also, you know, woman and everything else that she did. And, you know, we wanted to really spend a good amount of time, uh, on, on her career and also her her, the, yeah, the whole fallen angel era. And, and Kevin is such a huge part of that. And also wanted to highlight aspects of their personal life and have him comment directly. I mean, that was always the intention. Um, when we reached out to him or, you know, when I did and, and, and spoke to him about it, it, it was, um, it was tough because for him, it was just like, it like immediately was a complicated family situation between him and Nancy's family. And I realized that I was kind of stepping into something that was bigger than me and bigger than this project. And, uh, it was unfortunate because I think that, uh, had Kevin participated, uh, I think it, you know, to, to, to lend his perspective. I mean, of course we would have wanted that. So that was the only person I think that for us that I can think of that, that was, that was hesitant to, uh, participate. Yeah, and I re I remember too, uh, Evan. I remember this today. Do you remember when we we like approached him? We saw him at a at a wrestling convention, and and we went up to him, and he was in full gimmick. And we oh yeah, <laughs> we introduced ourselves to him. Yeah, we did. I don't think we pitched him this though. I think we were just like, 
at that time, know. yeah. I don't think it was like this was in the cards. No, no. I think we just talked about Bruiser Brody and we talked about other stuff. But yeah, we did introduce ourselves and and he's a fan of the show. It just it just I think for him his participation it just I just realized that this was a much more complicated situation than just uh, getting him in as you know as as simple as a yes or a no. Do you think that perhaps his involvement may have caused, uh, I don't know, a little heartburn for Nancy's family as to whether or not they had to decide whether or not they wanted to be involved? Did you feel like it was a sort of us versus them type situation based on their family dynamic? Based, that was the impression that I got. It was sort of the impression uh, that Kevin didn't want to upset uh, her her family by being in it. That's just my understanding um, you know, and, and it just, it just felt like there was a situation that, um, was beyond me that, you know, my influence, you know, couldn't, couldn't, uh, couldn't fix that or, or make that, which was unfortunate again, because it, it just would have been nice. That was just the one voice that I wish we could have had in the episode. Jason, I know this sounds silly, but when all of this happened, you know, there's the expression, everything's wrestling. There are a lot of quote unquote smart marks who had some pretty dumb comments that they let fly on social that, <laughs> yeah. oh, it must've been Kevin Sullivan because once upon right. a time, Kevin Sullivan had a devil gimmick, but it's a gimmick. He's a real guy. And, and I guess back in the seventies, all it took to have a devil gimmick was, I don't know, mascara, but, uh, <laughs> it's, it was a weird thing. And, and you gotta wonder, uh, do you think that your expose that you've done here has put some of those silly or, or nonsense theories to bed? Yeah. Like. Growing up, I like you always heard like the rumblings of like some of the sk- conspiracy theories. Although I never, I never really like entertained them. But I also didn't know like all like the truths to the whole like situation. Um, and even like in our piece, like when you watch it, we don't really like dive into too much of the conspiracy theories. Or I, I don't even think we really get into no. how people thought Kevin Sullivan was like involved in the in the murder because I think when you just when you really sit down with the people who are involved and who are closest to the story and the people who are there. And when you come out of the experience of watching our episode, I just, I think it just leaves zero doubt in what happened and how it really like affected people. I think kind of like wrestling, the wrestling audience in a lot of ways is just seeing the ramifications. Like after all these years, how, the people who are closest to the story are still affected by this like every day. And that was one thing when we first met David Benoit and he was really honest with us. And he told us how like he likes to go on Instagram live and that's one way he like communicates with people. And sometimes like people would write in his comments like these, like about some of these conspiracies and it would really like hurt him and, and affect him in a lot of ways. And even I, I, even through the, when we were making the episode before it was released, I would, when he would go on live, I would, you know, watch. And sometimes I would see some of those kinds of comments and he, I, he would just let it kind of brush off him. But I, I imagine it's something he was dealing with internally, but we just wanted to, you know, in, in a lot of ways to show it from the people who are closest to the story, how it affected them. And I think when an audience just sees that there's just, it puts no doubt in your mind. One thing too, just to add on to that is we, we did have, uh, in, in the early cuts of the, of the episode, we, we did have a section, uh, that, 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 
addressed the the conspiracy theories. Um, <clears throat> and just like what Jason was saying, like when we when we talked to Nancy's sister Sandra or we talked to David about it, you know, it it was a source of um, pain for them for that to have to keep coming up again because. It 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 you know it, it makes it harder in in their grieving process and coming to terms with this and and all of that, um, and it was something that we had in there, but you know of course you know when you're limited to a two hour clock on TV there's some difficult choices you have to make, but it I, I just remember when it was in there it just felt like um, like e- even giving any credence to this um, you know w- just didn't feel appropriate because I think it was just like all about here's what happened. You know, here's here's the details of what happened and from the people that were as intimate with this story. And so for us, it just didn't feel like it as important. But it I think it does play a big part into like what how the trolls online, you know, sort of have have dealt with this story in, in, in firm in terms of talking about the conspiracy side of things and also just, you know, how people have treated David and, and Sandra, um, you know, on social media, just with everything that's gone on with this story. Yeah, I even saw yesterday. I just looked at some of the comments on part two of the of uh, the Benoit story on YouTube, and there was just some one person who threw in something like, "Oh, I think I still think Kevin Sullivan did it," and then there was just like all these replies underneath it from people just saying like, "Stop," you know, like you could see now people are are also standing up um, for uh, yeah victims in it in a lot of ways, so. That's interesting to see. It's, it's really remarkable to see David Benoit sort of work through this because we, as wrestling fans outside of, you know, an occasional social media post, I mean, not to do a cheap plug, but when I heard he was at Starcast in Vegas, it got my attention. Like what, what he's here. That's cool. And it, it was something that was not even remotely on my radar that this guy may still be a wrestling fan and to know that he is still a wrestling fan and still enjoys it. And he's now left with, you know, sort of a, a unique position as a wrestling fan and, and someone whose dad was in the business, unlike anybody else, nobody really knows his path and his story. And I thought it was remarkable that you guys were able to add that to the story and, and reunite him with, with Nancy's family. And that was such a great moment. I felt like it tried to paint a silver lining in an overall pretty sad story, which is probably what you were going for. Right, Evan? Yeah, I mean, it was always the plan to try and get David uh, in the episode to participate because I, I actually saw him at StarCast. It was the first time I saw him. Um, and I just, obviously, he looks so much like Chris. And it was just something that hit me, it, like struck me. I was like, I was like too nervous to like introduce myself to him at, at the time. But I just remember like thinking, like putting myself in his shoes, like, immediately you know and being like what because i mean obviously you can tell he's chris's son from the way he looks but like what 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 would that be like you know and 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 what really is his perspective on this like i i just kept thinking that like it had a profound effect on me and um and then when we were putting this together we were always just like that was kind of one of the pieces of this that the fact that you know he is the son of Chris from another marriage, but like what is that perspective to you know and 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 so i think reaching out to him, um, was, was just super important. It was just super important for us to have him in the show. And we reached out to him, uh, through Chavo Guerrero, who we have to say, you know, 
Chavo Guerrero was such a huge part in this in the making of this episode. Like, not hardly any of it would even been possible without you know him um, kind of believing in us, and then at the same time introducing us to most of these folks that you see in the show. But we met David, and we we flew him out to Toronto where we produced the show, and we just spent like a weekend with David, like getting to know us. Like he really wanted to, you know get to know us, see who we are, which we don't blame him for at all because I would do the same, uh, yeah. if you know, in, 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 in his shoes. And we, we just like went to all these arcades around town. We played Goldeneye <laughs> like a bunch. Yeah. Like <laughs> we played like three player Goldeneye matches and, uh, <laughs> played racing games in the arcade and just like kind of didn't really talk about business, so to speak, or talk about what we were going to do. We just kind of connected with him, you know? And then, we went out for this dinner and that's when he started to kind of really open up with us and feel more comfortable and started telling us a little bit about little fragments of details of his perspective. And that's when we really knew how important it really was to get him in. And then, um, especially when he was telling us about the comments online and everything else like that. Uh, and, and then, and then it just was like a, a process. Like after we parted ways, we just kept in touch. And then, and then we finally went down to Chicago where that AEW show was and you had a star cast there as well. And uh, and then we just, you know, we 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 were just, yeah. Then he sat down in the interview chair and, you know, one of the more memorable interview experiences of my career. What made that interview segment so unique and special based on everything else that you guys have been doing, Jason? Um, I think it there was a lot of emotion uh, leading up to that interview. And to be honest... I don't think Evan and I knew for sure if that interview was going to happen until David sat in the chair in front of the camera. Yeah, uh, true. Like, like he was like on board, but I think it was still just like something that he was really like nervous about, and we were really nervous about as well. And and but um, having like Chavo there, he was right there with us, um, right behind the camera, like with us, and like hearing david's perspective and let and and how he just kind of left it all out you know he just he really opened up in a way and you can see he gets really emotional and i think it's an it's important that people see that and that's why we you know we we hang on it for a moment and let you live in that moment because we really want the audience to really feel it like and i've heard, i've seen so many comments when people see you know, there's this moment where he talks about the last weekend he spent with Nancy and Daniel, and that memory really brought up emotional feelings for him, and he breaks down crying. And um, I think when people see that in the comments that I've been seeing about that moment, it really hits home for people. And I think people can really connect with David uh, by seeing him being so vulnerable, but also being so brave to do that. Yeah, one thing too, just on that as well. I think that was eye-opening for for us. Um, you know, when when he finally sat down and committed to the interview, um, I think it it was it had obviously a very therapeutic effect. I think for David, um, but one of the things that became clear, and I've never asked him this, but I just I just assumed that this was probably one of the first times that he's ever really opened up about this, and I mean perhaps with anyone. Um, it just had that effect. Like, I, I'm not, not sure if that's true or not. It just had the effect of 
him, him kind of verbalizing this really for one of the first times. Um, and, and that I think was what led to it being so emotional. Um, but after the interview was over and, uh, that it was done, you could just almost see a physical change in him. Like you could almost see that he had just was, you know, standing up a little more straight, you know, and, and like he was, he, it, it, it was, it was very therapeutic for him, I think, to get the weight off of his chest. And one thing he said in some of the interviews he's done in, 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 uh, since the show has come out is he said that he's let 13 years of pain go, uh, when he sat down in front of that camera, which, you know, lends me to believe that maybe this is one of the first times he's really talked about it. Mm. Um, and the next day, I think it was the next day. Yeah. The next day we went to the AEW show where Chris Jericho and company took us backstage and, uh, Chris, Chris Jericho, who, who's, who's interacted with David, um, several times said the same thing. Like there's something about you that seems different today. You know, uh, I don't know what it is, but something. And and so I think it's had a really positive effect on David, especially uh, being able to finally have some some avenue to talk about this. Well, that's really the cool thing about the episode is that you you try to find a positive, and and this is something where it's it's really hard to find. I mean, you got to go digging for it, but you guys really did it, and it jumped off the screen. And something else that that jumped off the screen that started a little bit of a debate again is. Uh, JR stance that Benoit should not be in the hall of fame. And it, it seems silly that we would even have a discussion like this after a personal tragedy, but I'm glad you guys left that in because I feel like it's something that's still debated a lot online. what do you think of JR's comments and, and what sort of feedback have you gotten from that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely, um, I think, and, and, and also Dean too, I think, I think Dean Malenko has a good perspective on it too, is that like, you know, as he respects his career and, you know, all the accomplishments as he have, but you can't give any accolades to somebody who, who's perpetrated these crimes and it, and, and it goes even deeper into a larger conversation that, you know, society has been having in the last couple of years, which is, you know, separating, you know, can you separate you know, someone's art from who the artist is, you know? Um, and I, I just, obviously, you know, it's such a complicated subject, especially when you look at, does he belong in the hall of fame? Something even more that, you know, we're definitely going to explore with the Owen Hart episode as well, uh, later on down the line. Um, but I think one of the more interesting things that has emerged from this that I've been seeing and like, you know, Bully Ray commented on this as well is the concept of Nancy being in the Hall of Fame. Right. And, and, and that's something that we wanted to pivot towards as well in the episode. Um, and of course, it's like just knowing what one a fan like us here knows about the WWE. Can we picture them actually doing that? I don't know. Probably not. But if they did, like imagine just if they just did it. You know what I mean? Like if they just did it, there has to be no mention of Chris, but they just put Nancy in the Hall of Fame. And, uh, that would be such a powerful statement. I almost feel like it's teed up for them to do it now. You know, I do, yeah, definitely. I, I, I do wonder if they will though, because I, like you think they're going to say, well, if we mention her, then that means we could have some bad PR about the way she passed away and that could affect our shareholders. But I do think that every other non WWE hall of fame that doesn't have some sort of publicly traded piece, they should put Nancy in this year. If she's not already in, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Yes, definitely. Yeah, she was such a pioneer for her time. And for us, in a lot of ways, when we were going through, especially her fallen angel like era, 
like we just became obsessed with it because it's just it really is like the coolest like the coolest aesthetic yeah it's just one of the coolest vibes and how she like took inspiration from like a a uriah heap like vinyl cover (laughs) like we just thought she was just so cool and for us in in a lot of ways it was it was it was cooler to feature that stuff than the chris benoit like footage or the yeah and 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 also it's like um you know, to also learn from, from Sandra, uh, that, you know, she really was a a creative force behind a lot of that stuff. Uh, when it came to those early years with Kevin, like she was, she had that vision for it. You know, she was, she was rock and roll. She was metal. You know, she loved all that stuff, all that music and that aesthetic. And she really was the one that went out and bought a lot of that stuff, had the ideas of incorporating a lot of those costuming and makeup stuff and, and a lot of the aesthetic that's really brought to that image. And, 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 um, even in a lot of the photographs they did, I mean, she, she was a real, you know, major, uh, artist had a, a major artistic influence on that stuff. And, and that stuff is just like, when you go back and you watch, all those old promos or you see photos of her and Kevin, like on the beach with like swords, you know, and stuff. Yeah. It's some of the coolest, it's some of the coolest shit in eighties wrestling, like hands down. Well, something else that you guys have, have really mastered is the reenactments. And I've always been fascinated with your social media postings where you show it, you sort of show behind the scenes, how that all comes together. And I know it's hasn't aired yet, but you, had a clip of, I think it's you guys wearing the road warrior spikes, climbing <laughs> down those famous NWA stairs. It's such a cool yeah. look, but tell me about, you know, this one. And with Benoit, uh, the, the way you, you cast someone to play Chris Benoit, you know, it's sort of the no fly zone of professional wrestling, but I think you actually used a professional wrestler to play Chris in the, in the episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was like, uh, you know, our process in making, like putting these reenactments together is it's, uh, it's so hectic because everything we're just moving so, so, so fast. And, you know, we knew that that was, I mean, obviously such an important role in telling the story. And the person we turned to, to play Chris was actually a, a wrestler named Tyson Dukes, who we've actually, he's, he's, he's a local wrestler here in Ontario. And obviously he's had a, he's had an awesome career as well. And we we've turned to him to play several other characters before. I think he actually played Dutch Mantel in the Brody yep. in the Bruiser Brody uh, pilot, and he's played someone else too, hadn't he? It's like I can't even remember. I uh, think he's we, played somebody else. Yeah, I'm not sure. Or I well, he definitely played Dutch, but uh, yeah, but he even when we when we spent time with him doing the Bruiser Brody episode and just in between takes and getting to know Tyson, he told us that he actually met Chris Benoit a couple times right. uh, backstage. And so he had that connection. He was very inspired by Chris's work, work uh, that he incorporated into his own wrestling. Um, and so we knew that he, like, he, was, he, he had already studied Chris Benoit's work. He, he would already know the mannerisms, know the, the move sets. And, um, and so when it came time to cast that, character i think he was like the first person we thought of um, yeah and, and he was absolutely and he was absolutely absolutely down and he totally got the the nuance of it and um the the professionalism that had to go behind that um because even you know on set you know it's when you're recreating some of these scenes a lot of the crew members are fans of wrestling and so um it's it's 
kind of intense in a lot of ways for some people. Um, but t- the way Tyson dealt with it in such a professional way, it just made it so comfortable for everyone. Yeah, and, and obviously there's a lot of sensitivities with, with this story in particular. And uh, I think one of the bigger challenges that we had in putting together, like, what are the things that we're going to reenact? What are the things that we're going to show? Um, was obviously, you know, from the beginning, we were never, you know, going to try and, you know, uh, reenact the events of that weekend or anything. We always wanted to keep that at a distance. And uh, mainly the things that we wanted to emphasize were the effects that I, I think the most important stuff that you see in there is really the, the, the effects that, uh, uh, um, Eddie Guerrero's passing had on Chris, which was such a, an, another, just a huge part of the story. And, 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 and one aspect of the story that hasn't gotten a, a ton of attention, uh, before, but it was the common thread that m- most of all of the subjects in the episode, uh, brought up in their interviews was, was being a very big life changing moment for Chris. And so to be able to kind of, Structure a lot of the reenactments to heighten uh, that side of the story was was one of the more important aspects of what we want to do. Talk to me a little bit about the scene that you guys reenacted and, and Vicky Guerrero is telling the story, but it, man, it stood out. I'll never forget. My wife and I looked at each other when we saw it and thought, "Boy, that's weird." When she found Chris uh, in her and Eddie's bedroom on his side of the bed, uh, hugging Eddie's pillow, and it it just stood out like this is way deeper than I ever imagined their relationship. And that led a lot of people online to wonder, you know, what was the nature of their relationship? Were they codependent on one another? And I don't know that you could really argue that based on the way it feels like Chris responded. I mean, crying on another guy's pillow in his marital home. That's, that's a deep affection right there. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that uh, yeah, Vicky's story about about Chris. Um, uh, actually, Vicky's whole perspective was one thing that was very new to us because we had gone into uh, this episode uh, heavily researched and you know th- and had known a lot about what other people have said before um, about their relationship, but I think Vicky's just entire story about Chris after Eddie's passing and especially Nancy's involvement, um, you know, and, and just how close Vicky and Nancy really were, especially at that time. Um, and that to us was, 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 was very new to see like how, you know, deep their relationship was. I mean, I think as you know, a lot of people also talk about, um, it doesn't really come through as much in the episode, but it was definitely something that people talked about was, you know, how Chris, wasn't really that much of an emotional guy. You know, he was a person that was very much inside and very much to himself. And I think that the relationship he developed with Eddie over the course of several years, I think was, you know, he, he was that person. And especially, you know, you hear, you know, or, or, I mean, he, he was that person that allowed him to have that sort of emotional outlet. And another thing you also hear, and this is a common theme in most of the episodes that we've done is that these guys travel so much on the road together they, they spend so much time together that um, it's it's almost like, you know, especially like when we're talking to Animal about the Road Warriors. I mean, he says, I was married to Hawk for 22 years. You know, these guys spend um, so much time together and away from their families that I think that, you know, those bonds and having, 
having that um, um, emotional reliability or or some other you know closeness to another person. I think you know I think when that was gone, I I just would imagine that for Chris there wasn't any outlet anymore for him that he had. And, and, and especially if he was having problems at home, um, or whatever, like, you know, that, that, that I don't, I just could imagine that that would be very, very difficult. It really stood out to me because you have to appreciate this is a woman who just lost her husband and she's consoling her husband's friend in that moment. It's, uh, right. Just remarkable when you really think about their connection. And I do, I appreciate that you guys spent a little bit of time on the passing of Eddie Guerrero, because I don't think a lot of fans knew the circumstances around which it happened, you know, where you talked about mm. that, that Chavo found him before he was all the way gone and he passed away in Chavo's arms, man, talk about a tearjerker that, uh, there's so much loss and devastation in this story and, and not just for the Benoit family. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say just that like for Chavo Guerrero, it's like, you, you just imagine, um, you know, we've become pretty close with Chavo over the course of this. Um, but you just imagine for, for Chavo to be, uh, you know, the person that, you know, was there when Eddie passed, you know, his uncle when he passes and he's tied to that story and then how he's, and then, and then his relation as, like after Eddie passed away, one other thing that's not really, uh, built upon in the episode, but, but Chavo, became really close with Chris Benoit after Eddie passed away. It almost like not as a surrogate to the, to, to, you know, his relationship with Eddie, but they became really close and they became, they actually traveled a lot for a long time after that. And, um, and so then for Chavo to be the person there for when Eddie passes away and then Chavo to be the person that Chris reached out to, uh, over the course of the weekend of, you know, of Chris's final weekend, I mean, that's just wild, you know, for him to have been so close to both of those tragedies is, uh, is, is, is wild. Yeah. And we never, we didn't have time to, to share it in the episode, but there was like a moment where Chavo spent like a day or a weekend with oh, yeah. family the like weekend a, before the weekend before. And he, he, he told us how he, like he had brought his belts inside and how Daniel really wanted to play with his belts. And he spent some time playing with Daniel. Um, but that, you know, things seem pretty normal. Yeah. On that week. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about that. Let's, yeah. let's talk about Daniel because something that was reported a lot way back in 07 when all this happened that that isn't touched on in the episode is that perhaps Daniel had a unique illness or health situation. And I think at the time people were calling it fragile X syndrome, which I'll admit I'd never heard of before or after was, <laughs> yeah. was that ever explored in, in any of your work on this? It was, um, it, it was again, um, kind of lumped into the, uh, I guess we'll call it the conspiracy theory section of the episode back when in the earlier, longer, uh, edits of the episode. Um, and it, it was something that was introduced, uh, in the narrative of this as a potential motive, because, when this story broke, I mean, obviously it became such a major news story everywhere and everyone was searching for answers. And then of course, um, it, at the time it was steroids, you know, when, when he was found to have testosterone, uh, you know, when he was, uh, um, had exaggerated amounts of testosterone found in his body, then that was kind of the smoking gun. And then the media kind of moved on. But at the time, right around that in the narrative, when they were 
searching for answers. You know, one of the theories that was introduced was that Daniel had fragile X syndrome or a form of autism or something, and and, and Chris was ashamed of that or or something. Um, after um, Sandra uh, did Chris Jericho's podcast, she actually that was the first time she ever spoke about any of this, and that was a few years ago, and that was a huge guiding um, influence for us at the time because it really showed us, wow, here's another side of the story that um, could be uh, you know, built upon and, and, and really showed us that we need to have her as, as a part of this. But when she, she basically debunked that in, in that interview and as well as in ours, it just was kind of one of those things that you know, when you're trying to tell this story and you're telling it for people who maybe have heard it for really the first time, it just felt like you know, you have to make choices to cut things to make to get it to time. I know it's kind of a boring answer, but you know, there are things when it's like, okay, you're going to introduce a bit of information, and then it's not true. It 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 just, you know, it, I don't know. It just didn't seem like it was worth that amount of runtime to to introduce something that was so easily refutable. Um, but um, from from Sanders Sanders' perspective, that was something that was never true. Yeah, and I it's I wish it came across even more so in the episode, or we had more time for it. But like Sandra was extremely close with Daniel. Like she was there for most of his life. And I think they were even um, going to build like a home on the property for Sandra to live on so that she could be continue, I think being very close to uh, Daniel's life. Um, and so it, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, she, she very much, yeah, defended Daniel and uh, she just, you know, dismissed all those rumors. Well, it's just, it's interesting to, to look at because you wonder, you know, and, and we all, there's so many questions with this story because you can't imagine getting to that place with your wife. But then I think what does it for a lot of people is to say, okay, you know, maybe there was a, a moment of passion or there was too much drinking or, or something horrible happened in a moment with your wife, but then to go and do that to your son, maybe mm-hmm. there was some thinking that. And, and obviously this is a very warped point of view, but you, you wonder what was going through his mind. And of course we'll never know. And, and it was absolute, you know, mayhem, but maybe the thinking is, I don't want to leave. I'm going to prison now, or I'm going to die. And, and, and his mom is no longer with us. And, and you wonder like what that meant when he, when he put the Bible there and then to see that there was a, a, a knife near the bed, it's just, there's so many unanswered questions about the Daniel piece, because I think it's so hard for moms and dads to imagine ever hurting their own child. Wouldn't you agree, Jason? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I can totally understand how that's hard to, you know, deal with and, and wrap one's head around. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it, it, it really is unfathomable, but you know what, like you said, we, we don't know what was going on through Chris's mind, but he was going through a tremendous, a tremendous amount of mental health issues. And we know, and we've seen in lots of other cases where mental health issues have led down a road, a, a destructive path that have destroyed families. Yeah. Especially with, you know, CTE and, 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 you know, uh, the prevalence of that now being, you know, much something we're much more aware of now than we were in 2007. Um, and one thing too, it's like, you know, it's, it's also like just from some of the other details that are shared in the episode, obviously the internet searches that Chris did, um, and everything like that, you can just tell that at least from my 
point of view that, you know, he's just not in that, in that, in a, in a sane state of mind, you know, that there was something that had happened in that moment where he's not operating on, you know, any sort of sane level. Um, but you know, furthermore to going to see to the CTE conversation, you know, one of the other reasons to do this project is that, you know, back in 2007, when it happened, you know, they're like, you know, because ster- steroids became sort of the catalyst of the story, like what, this is what happened, you know, this is, this is why this is a roid rage incident or whatever. And, um, since 2007, 13 years ago now, there's so many more conversations that people are having around mental health and, um, and, and, and with regards to wrestling and other contact sports, I mean, it's not just a physical mental health to it. There's also emotional sides to it as well, which is one of the areas that we, you know, kind of explore as far as, um, you know, Eddie's passing and how that impacted Chris. But another another thing too, and another just thing to consider, and this isn't something also we had the runtime for in the episode, but it, it's an important detail, which is, and I know you know this too from Conrad talking to so many different wrestlers, but it's a it's it's just it's sobering to know how many of these guys like have had to deal with I mean so many deaths like it, it's 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 amazing that. These wrestlers, I mean, they probably know 50 or 60 people, maybe more, that have died. People they were close to, people they've traveled with, people they've worked with. Like, and and I can't think of many other industries or situations that another person would be in on like a more of a day-to-day basis where that would be that would that would be what your circumstance is. So one, I think I one, like one other aspect too is that Nancy and Chris both were you know heavily grief stricken in the last few years of their lives by the loss of a lot of different people. Um, you know we talk about Johnny Grunge, we mentioned that, but there's a, a whole host of other people too that were that that had a profound effect on Chris Owen Hart being one of them, even though that was you know eight years before the tragedy. And then you know you have uh, you know tons of people that they were close to that you know people people describe that you know in the last few years of their lives that they were kind of in a perpetual state of grief, and you can only imagine you know, uh, if, if they were self-medicating at that time or what other, how they were dealing with that, you know, and it, it, it all, you know, built to, to a head. The CTE thing is something that is definitely, uh, well past now, you know, I mean, we're, we're all very familiar with it now as compared to back then, but some of the things that it led Chris to do, or so we've, you know, we all assume it was CTE based on the, the information we have about his brain now. But the thing that has never really been fully documented, I don't think, on, on a major scale, is what did happen. And you guys had to sort of tiptoe a little bit because there's been books written and, and some other specials out there, and they go into varying degrees of detail of exactly what those final three days look like. When did you guys decide, or how did you guys sort of tiptoe the line to figure out what needed to be covered and, and what we should probably lay off well um jason feel free to tag in if i'm yammering too much but um the you know you you can't tell this story um without um you know just like describing the details of the crimes um uh even though we are wrestling fans and you know i i even grew up as a fan of chris and i can't tell you how many times I've played played as him in video games and you know watched his matches and been a fan as well but you can't discredit the you know what these crimes were and what 
how and 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 really what effect they have, especially on the on the people. And so so for us or the, or the people involved in the story. So for us, it was important to have an objective voice. Um, uh, actually, two objective voices you see um, in the episode to really walk us through those details, um, and they're they're important for a number of reasons. Um, you know, one, I think there there is kind of a, you know, for you know for wrestling fans, I think there has been uh, difficulty coming to terms with what the details are. I saw on Twitter the night that we. Uh, premiered, I, you know, I, I was a little surprised to see how many wrestling fans had not known all the details. There was a lot of people that didn't know this took place over the course of three days or the way that Nancy was found or what had happened to her and or what had happened to Daniel specifically. Um, and I think it's important for those to know when it comes to conversations around Hall of Fame and, and legacy and those types of things. Um, and so for us, it was always important to show and to highlight those details, even for as how difficult and for um, you know how 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 horrifying they really are, but you can't tell the story without um, including those details for those reasons. Um, and you know, but but for us, it was always to do it in a tasteful way. We didn't want to, um, or as tasteful way as we could, um, in order to still you know communicate the that this is what happened, but also trying not to sensationalize it um, in 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 ways that it has been uh, over the course of the last 13 years when this has been, you know, covered. And, and, and that was important to Jason and I in terms of how to show that. Right. Yeah. Like we, like from the beginning, like you said earlier, we didn't want to do reenactments of the events that, of that weekend. Um, but we had just like very detailed descriptions and we, we really prepared for those interviews, uh, with one with the, 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 the police officer, uh, who was the first responder. And, um, just, I think, with his perspective and him you telling you know exactly like how he saw it and what he saw and and we just we chose to just show um the police photos from the scene um minus any you know photos of of anyone's body or anything but we felt that just showing the emptiness of the house kind of showed how their presence was how Nancy and Daniel and Chris's, the family's presence was missing from this home. And I think for people, the effect of that interview and seeing those pictures um, really takes you there. And, and kind of what Evan was saying is that we really, we needed to paint that picture so that it could in some ways um, diminish those like conspiracy theories. And I think when people hear the truth of it and hear how how scary it was um mm. i think that really hits home for the audience right it was uh it's eerie to see the police tape there and and to see the news from the time and one of the challenges you guys probably had is you know, hey that ha- this is a silly thing but i thought watching it back well, that house is sold now uh somebody else actually lives there how are you guys going to be able to sort of show that and the workaround is the miracle of drones, right? <laughs> Pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, we uh we had just like uh our a series producer uh Alex McIntosh who who worked so hard on this show with us. Um, uh, did so much was in the trenches with us throughout this whole thing because you know, we made 10 hours of the show in the last uh 9 months or whatever it's been. <laughs> but uh Alex uh had this contact with these 
this incredible drone group, uh, I think that was based in the area and they just did a phenomenal job, um, in terms of, uh, covering it and covering that house and, and showing it in different ways and very effective ways. And yeah, that was just one of the things that we, um, again, and trying to put this together, it's like, you know, from a, from a production standpoint, even though you're talking about very difficult, uh, you know, moments in this story, you have to show something, you have to cover it with something. And so we felt that, you know, again, just showing the house from a distance and showing the absence of, you know, the family in the house from the police photos was just kind of the only way that felt like, um, we could do it while still, you know, being mindful of, you know, um, you know, everybody else who's involved, or people who are involved in the story and also, you know, and, and not, and not being gratuitous or not being a sensationalist. Yeah. And that's gotta be a real challenge, you know, because this is something that, you know, you could, um, see in the hands of some other folks where they would really get sort of clickbaity with, with some of the topics that they covered directions that they took the story. But one of the things and we touched on it at the top of the show that, that I think really got people's uh, interest up is when you released the first half on YouTube, I don't think you guys did that for season one. Do you think that helped you overall? I mean, it certainly felt like a lot more people were talking about it. I think, uh, Evan, you and I were even communicating before it came out. Benoit was trending on Twitter, which is, you know, interesting because he's been, you know, sort of hidden from WWE archives for so long that now, uh, you know, out of nowhere, seemingly thanks to you guys, it's, it's part of the national conversation again. And YouTube played a big part of that. Did it not? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely. Um, I think season one, we we did we did do a little teaser on YouTube of of putting out the the Bruiser Brody episode um, as like a sneak peek. Um, but with this, it was actually something that Vice uh, had had brought to us. I, I want to say twenty four hours before they released it, right? <laughs> Pretty much, like yeah. That. It was like at first, it was like the first minute when you heard it. We were both kind of like, oh, why are we doing that? And then we quickly realized, oh, no, this this is a good idea. Like, And that's ultimately what we want. We just want we want people to see it. And so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was it was a little um, overwhelming at first, like to wrap our heads around it, because obviously we've worked on it for so long. And uh, the, the the way that we wanted people to see it was we wanted people to see it, um, you know, as a full feature length, two hour piece. Um, that, that's how we always envisioned it. Um, yeah. and, and it was, it was tricky too, because you know, the, like vice TV isn't formatted for such a thing. Usually this is kind of the first time they've done a piece of this length. And, and so there, there's been some concessions we've made on that side. Cause now I think it's going to be airing in, in always just two parts and things like that. Um, but so when they, when they, when they proposed the idea, it was kind of like, Ooh, I don't know. And then, and then it quickly became like the right idea because it, it just, you know, it, it, it gave it this visibility that I don't think it would have had, had we just wait, you know, waited till that Tuesday till when it premieres. And it also entices people to, uh, here's the first part, you know, now you're going to have to see the second part. Um, and I think it, it led people to like, how is the second part going to be handled? Because, you know, the first part was pretty empathetic and, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how, how it all unfolds. Um, so I think that just, yeah, it, it drove a lot of people to wanting to check it out, which is always a, a good thing. Well, one of the other, you know, good ideas, you talked about YouTube being a good idea was the way you were able to, uh, splice in some old WWF slash WWE footage 
because I don't feel like that was done using traditional methods. You guys had an interesting sort of filter where you, you made it look sort of the way we remember. What can you talk to us about the production and sort of artistic way that you were able to, to put some of that footage in here? <laughs> well, with all the archival footage, it's actually, we, we run it all through, um, an old tube television and then we film the screen of the, of the tube television. And so that's kind of how it has this, I don't know, I guess almost kind of like a retro feeling effect, but it really unifies the look of all of our, all of our archival. And, and just, we always just have got like Evan and I have always been huge fans of shoot interviews. And we just felt that like, if we could just get like a really wicked looking lens on these wrestlers and get <laughs> decent microphones, <laughs> their their storytelling abilities are so incredible that they already like paint the picture for you and so it leaves us i feel like with little work to do like we just have to kind of paint a fainted picture of the, that memory that they're describing and so that's yeah that's why we we chose to go with the the out of focus look to kind of replicate the feeling of like a blurred memory and um, it also really helps our budget because uh, we we uh, we we can be more resourceful with our money in other ways instead of having to build like full on sets to replicate um, like the eras in which uh, these stories are taking place. But it's also like an incredibly laborious uh, way of going about it, <laughs> just yeah. in terms of in terms of the archival. Like, uh, there's many many times where it's like, okay, we've just shot, you know, like an hour of archival across many different episodes, and then oh shit, something just totally messed up, and we have to do it all over again. And or there's a flicker in the TV that you know uh, did messed everything up or something. So it is. <laughs> it's always been kind of the bane of our existence, but. You know, we just we just were were kind of perfectionists in terms of the aesthetic of the show, and we just always wanted to have that kind of feeling because we can't handle because there's a lot of things we do get from YouTube, and like you know we just can't handle the look of YouTube, you know, on and as part of a television show, it it, it shouldn't you shouldn't be watching YouTube on a TV show, um, and then uh, with the reenactments, you know, um, I think I think you're underselling too. It's it is it is you know it's it is a, another like cool aspect of the show. I mean, it's something that, that, that makes it very unique, but I mean, it, it does it again. It's, it's another hurdle and another step in the process in order to uh, put it all together. Um, but you know, you have to have something, uh, in order to cover the aspects of the story that take place out of the ring. And that was something that we, you know, from the very beginning, like, you know, was very important to try and capture how are we going to capture these guys coming into the locker room or, or their home lives or their travel lives. And then, um, you know, one thing for us that we, we, we always try and highlight because it's such a huge inspiration for us and in, in making this show is, uh, this documentary film from the eighties called the thin blue line, which is like the seminal true crime documentary of the eighties, really kind of one of the first like modern documentaries in a lot of way. And that film is so like, if you go back and watch that now, I mean, we're just like, you know, we're just like totally, uh, you know, <laughs> taking, taking that vibe and, and turning it, turning it up for wrestling. But that was the idea. It was shoot interviews done in the style of the thin blue line was kind of the, like, which is almost kind of funny to think about, but that's, that was, that was the idea of the show. Well, it was a home run and you talked about how laborious part of this was, Jason, if you had to guess, how many man hours do you think you guys put in this Benoit episode? Oh my God. I, thousands. 
I, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know. It, it like we we have spent months and months of time. I know I have just myself. I probably put at least a couple hundred hours just into the editing of it, and we all and we had another editor, uh, Jason Cook, spend hundreds and hundreds of hours on it as well. Oh my God! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> story it's editors, a, story yeah. editors and uh, other producers and like, uh, you know, um, archive folks. I mean, everything. I mean, it's, it's been a it's been a pretty big production and it's 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 you know, I'm not trying to gain any sympathy by saying this, but it's like, you know, really kind of making a feature length movie while also making a TV show is kind of what it's felt like. Yeah. Like we've always kind of considered the Chris Benoit episodes as one feature length film that we've been making, but then, Oh, there's also these eight other you know episodes we have to do as part of a TV show um, that we've produced since July, I think is when we started. So it's just been a mad dash and every all hands on deck. We're not a big team. Um, and, and just trying to produce all of this. Yeah. And I think Evan, you tallied up like for season two, like how many people we interviewed for it. And I think the number came out to, was it like 87 interviews? That we 87 did? interviews. And yeah. each interview is like three to four hours long. Yeah. And so when you just think about that alone, that <laughs> With two cameras and very, dumb. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's. I, I think I told it was eighty-seven interviews, and I think it was uh, just about over four hundred and fifty hours of footage we filmed for season two. Let's talk a little bit about Vice because I feel like they deserve a lot of credit here. Because for a long time, you know, people have had ideas about wrestling content on TV, and we've always been told there's no appetite. And then somehow, you guys managed to to sell it to Vice here. And I'm curious what that relationship has been like. You know, we've heard as people who aren't in the industry that sometimes the, the, the channel or the, the executives will give you quote unquote notes on what they're looking for one way or another. What was that process like with vice throughout season two? Um, so, you know, the relationship with vice, I mean, I've, I've been involved with the company, uh, on and off since I think about 2013. So I've had a lengthy relationship with vice. Um, you know, I, I will say there has been a lot of ups and there's been a lot of downs in terms of the working relationship with the company over the course of this whole show. Um, and you know, from the very beginning, you know, like as frustrating as sometimes it can be just with any network too, first off, um, the kudos I will give to them is that I, I, you know, I think it does take a little bit of a network to have the balls in order to take on uh, a show like this, that, that is going to cover, you know, stories that are this controversial, um, especially in this world and, you know, um, and, and, um, you know, all the, uh, and also never having really made a show that incorporates, you know, reenactments and this level of travel and this level of, you know, whatever. So, um, getting it off the ground. I mean, it, it didn't happen overnight. I, I will say that. Um, it definitely was a, pro a very slow process in the beginning. I mean, cause you remember when we showed you the Bruiser Brody, uh, pilot, I mean, that was, you know, we had, we had made that as a pr proof of concept in 2017. And then it was like, you know, six months later, you know, we had to, we had to fight to get them to give us a full season. I mean, we thought we had hit it out of the park with that. And so it was a little bit of like, you know, more salesmanship it was, was needed to get season one off the ground. And then when season one was finished, there was more salesmanship that needed to occur to actually get the show on the air. <laughs> yeah. There was like a point where I think like after they we said finished no, yeah. it, that they were going to like wait like another year before releasing it. 
and you didn't have the heart to tell me. <laughs> I didn't. I, I lied. I straight up you, lied. You lied. There was a there was a moment there was a moment where we finished all of season one. We finished it, done, delivered, stepped away, and then it was like I think I I just heard nothing from them about when it was going to go on the air. And then um, I was like, I got to get to the bottom of this. So I like went to the office to go like just, you know, try and literally like knock on people's doors. And um, this guy who uh, ran into me in the hallway, whose whose responsibility it, it was to program um, was basically, yeah, so we've we've been thinking um, that we're going to we're going to do this in, uh, I think, February of 2020. You know, so imagine that. Imagine season one coming out like two months ago. Right. You know, um, and I just couldn't. And 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 this was in February of 2019 when I'm hearing this news, and I I just couldn't like I, I couldn't wrap my brain around that. So this is a funny story actually. So what happened is, um, I was like I refuse to accept this, and uh, and and that's you know going back to kind of like you know wrestling. I think having the stigma in entertainment or in television of, of, you know, not drawing audiences or audiences not like, yeah, it might get good ratings, but do those people really mean anything to advertisers? I think that's always been kind of a stigma. I'm sure Eric Bischoff talks about that in your podcast or whatever, you know? So we were up against that too, uh, you know, in, 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 in some ways. And, um, what wound up happening is we wound up getting, seeing some of the ratings they were getting on some of the other shows. Um, and this is right around the time AEW was starting up. I think they had they were just about to announce their deal with TNT. They hadn't done it yet. And um, so what I did is I uh, we basically put together an email that was just kind of showing that when as soon as AEW arrives on the scene and it creates this new competitive environment where 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 where, where it's going to create you know where, where wrestling is going to be on more major networks. And I think WWE had already announced they were moving to Fox, um, for their other show. And so it was just literally like, the, this is going to be more mainstream on cable. And we also illustrated the fact that AEW fans, cause they had done a handful of events at that point. And we also illustrated that, look, all of these fans that are going to these shows in Vegas or whatever, like, I can't remember what the percentage was, but there was like a percentage of fans where there was a big amount that were actually flying in. This was these all flying audiences. These aren't people that are, um, you know, that that are that are local going to this event. There's a lot of fly-in people, and they're going to Starcast, and they're going to these other places, and it's a fan convention environment. I mean, there's money being spent here, um, and so kind of showing, illustrating that that this is kind of what the fandom of wrestling is. It's really kind of, you know, it's 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 a it's a very lucrative thing, and so then it was it was literally in tandem with them getting ratings on other shows <laughs> and that, and, and that news, that email of, of literally here, here's a way to, uh, save this to salvage ratings. Uh, and look, look at how these audiences are popping up everywhere over wrestling. Um, that that's what sold it. And then eventually it was like, but then it was like, be careful what you wish for, because at that moment they were like, okay, kid, you're on the air in two weeks. And we literally had two weeks notice to get season one on the air with no posters, no trailers, no nothing, nothing, zero. And so we had to like, it was a mad dash. Then, then it was going from zero to 60 to getting this thing on the air back. in I think it was April of 2019. It's remarkable to hear sort of behind the scenes of, of how this all came together, but let's talk about it as an artist, not the salesman hat, but the artist, when this Benoit episode aired, you've put thousands of hours into the episode. 
do you watch it for the first time and, and think, man, if there's one thing left <laughs> out of that, I wish we could have just got this one thing in the story. What would that have been, Jason? I'm not sure. Uh, there, there's definitely, I have like some regrets pertaining to some of the other episodes. Like there are mm. so many things in the new Jack episode that I wish we could have put it <laughs> for the most part, I feel really good about the Benoit episode. Like, like we were saying, we exhausted it so much. We put so much time into it, countless hours into ed- editing it. Um, that I think for the most part, like I, I feel, I feel pretty good about it. Like I can be very like I, Evan and I are very picky. Um, and so we could probably nitpick things and, I have a hard time watching things that I've created after I've sent it out into the world. Um, so I actually, I haven't sat down and watched it um, since we've finished it. Since it's <laughs> um, But we're also, we're still finishing eight other episodes. So I'm right. like 24 seven cutting the other. Yeah, he's cutting road warriors right now. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's yeah. This, yeah. Yeah. This is my break from road warriors. Right. Now. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was just going to say, like, watching it back for the first time uh, when it aired on Tuesday night, because um, I, I was watching it live, um, and it, w- it was, it was like, uh, like I, I, I felt really good about it, because, I mean, seeing people re- respond on, on Twitter live was, was, was wild, um, and seeing Dark Side of the Ring trend was something I never thought I would ever see, um, but, like, I got emotional during parts of it, and I've seen this thing hundreds of times, and uh, that was cool. And, uh, I also find that when we cut things out of the episodes, like when, when, when things, we have to make those difficult decisions of like, okay, it's gotta go. And we like cut it out that there's part of me that just forgets about it. Like, it's not part of my like thought process in the episode very much, unless someone brings it up or asks a question about it, then I'll remember it. But usually when something's gone, it's just gone. You know, um, but, uh, easily with the Chris Benoit story, it could, it could have been longer. And, uh, definitely we're seeing with some of the other episodes that we're, that we're doing. It's, 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 it gets tough when you get down to the wire and you have to make difficult decisions. It's really tough. And, and, and there's some, there's some tough, uh, there's some tough ones in there for sure coming up. Well, talk to me about these extras, you know, I guess extras is maybe the wrong word, but the things that you had to edit, the stuff that wound up on the cutting room floor, is there a plan to release that anywhere, anyhow, anyway? Well, um, we do like occasionally we, we release stuff online. Um, and every episode we have to deliver these kind of like, they're like little deleted scenes that could be used for other broadcast networks and other countries that may have like different lengths for their broadcast times. And so they'll use these little deleted scenes to like fill gaps. Um, But once we're like done cutting the shows, Evan and I spend a lot of time cutting deleted scenes or scenes that we really wish we could have had in the episodes. There's Um, so many things we could, we could, we could release. It's literally the, it's like, it's like the, uh, it's like time. It's literally just time. Cause it's like, I feel like, I feel like, Season one, when that was done, I think it finished in the end of May. Literally 30 days later, we were we were out on the road filming for season two. And right now, even though that 
Crispin Wise that that episode is premiered uh, on TV, you know, last week, you know, we're still very much engaged on the day to day of uh, of finishing and delivering. Uh, I think I think we're still delivering what seven or six episodes still. Yeah. Like 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 so that so it's just a matter of time. So I think once this is all done, then maybe we can either a release some more things because there's tons of stuff. Or we just have to like you know start like an intern program and just get people to <laughs> go nuts. Yeah, like we were saying before, there was there's 87 interviews, each one being around four hours. It's just Whoa. this mountain of material. <laughs> yeah, case, Evan and I feel like we're like these archivalists, like going around North America, just like capturing these little time capsules of these interviews that you know maybe who knows someday maybe there'll be a way to like you know pull things out of them and, and share more things from, from them because there's an incredible amount of history that we captured uh, yeah. that are, that's in those interviews. Yeah. If, if the world goes full chaos mode, you know, we'll, there we'll, we'll definitely have a bunker full of shoot interviews that we can all uh, watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jason, you mentioned that occasionally you guys drip some stuff out online, tell everybody where they can follow you guys individually and the show on social media and, and any other platform. Well, you can follow Evan and I both, uh, Evan Husney at, uh, you know, on Twitter and Jason Eisner on Twitter and our, our, um, our, our show account is dark side of R ring. Is that right, Evan? <laughs> <laughs> I'll do this part. Um, <laughs> you can follow, uh, you can follow me at, at Evan Husney on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow Jason on at Jason Eisner on Twitter and Instagram and the show is at dark side of ring on Twitter. That was because it was too many characters and, uh, at dark side of the ring on Instagram. And yeah, we post stuff, uh, vice post stuff on their YouTube and, um, and yeah, and, uh, we're going to be releasing as much extra stuff as we can. Um, and hopefully when we talk about the new Jack episode, we can talk about, um, a whole nother documentary we could make out of the new Jack footage. <laughs> well, I guess we should mention that's what's next. It's coming up uh, tonight on Vice TV. You don't want to miss it. There is a uh, a clip of the show pinned to the top of the uh, Twitter page. I've had an, uh, the opportunity to see this episode. It is wild and off the rails. And what's great about this series, I don't know that we've really talked about this, but let me sort of draw a correlation here. My mom absolutely hates football, but she loves hard knocks on HBO, sort of the story of the guys off the field and who they are in real life and, and what their trials and tribulations are and just tell their story. And my That's wife cool. absolutely hates professional wrestling, but she thinks dark side of the ring is the coolest thing ever because it's the story <laughs> of these guys wow. and wrestling is just sort of in the background. And I heard several years ago, Chris Jericho said, WWE isn't about pro wrestling. Just like walking dead. Isn't about zombies. They're dramas with zombie as the backdrop. And and WWE is a drama with wrestling as the backdrop. And I sort of feel the same thing about dark side of the ring. Like she had no idea who new Jack was and had no interest, but was captivated by this crazy character that the world is going to meet tonight live on vice. Oh boy. Yep. They sure are. <laughs> and, uh, we, we sometimes say like if people like thought that that joker movie was like a really good dissection of like a psychological like thriller like <laughs> wait to like people see the new jack story and how we dive into the mind of new jack 
Well, join the conversation tonight. Is there a certain hashtag Evan that we should be looking for as we're watching on vice together? Just hashtag dark side of the ring. Hashtag dark side of the ring. And what do you think? Are are we sort of doing a dark side of the podcast here? Is that what we're going to go with? I guess so. We could do that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Dark side of the podcast. We're going to keep cranking these out here. Uh, hit the subscribe button, tell a friend and tune in right after you watch the vice documentary tonight. And uh, we'll be back to uh, break down new Jack. We're really looking forward to this. It's been, uh, it's been fun visiting with you guys and talking about what I think is, is the greatest documentary series ever in the history of professional wrestling. I know you guys hear that all Whoa, the time. Wow. Whoa. Hey, now, how is it not true guys? The amount of time and effort and energy and production quality you've put into this, it just blows away everything else. And sometimes when these documentaries are produced in wrestling, they're through a certain lens and you guys try to view it objectively. And in my opinion, that makes it better. Is that fair? That's a, no, that's well, great. Just, so, yeah. just, so, just so I know too, what Conrad is your favorite wrestling documentary, man. I, I tell you, I really love the bruiser roadie one that you guys showed oh, me with uh, not ours though. Not, not ours. It's like, oh. yeah. Other ones. You know, there's, there hasn't been a ton of, of really, really good ones. I thought wrestling with shadows was well done. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I don't, I think beyond the mat is held in maybe too high of a regard, but it, it's still a fun watch and it was cool to see sort of a totally. wrestling documentary in a theater. That was something I never thought I would see in my lifetime, but mm. I, I've thought that the guys have done a really good job in recent years that were associated with high spots when they did something about the Crockett's and things like that. But you guys production level just takes it to a whole new level, uh, for the space. And, and I'm sure a lot of that is because you've got the support of vice. And I think it's so cool that, that a channel like vice is not only giving it the space to air it, but putting the investment behind it to make it look good. Yeah, totally. I mean, the, the fact that they've approached us and like, Hey, you guys want, we're going to put together like a talking dead show or whatever. I was like, Whoa, I, you know, it's funny to think, you know, I'd never would have thought that would be something that they would do. And, and it seems like, you know, that the fact that this has, you know, earned the ratings and we can't thank fans enough for tuning in because I mean, that's really what's going on here is, you know, um, that there is an audience that really wants to see this. And, and, you know, the fact that everyone keeps tuning in every week and makes more of these shows more possible is like, we can't thank those, you know, we can't thank you guys enough for that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's good. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a wild experience in these last, these last three years have been felt like a blur, just like one wrestle blur, you know, like, but, um, but, but, you know, Jason and I are fans. We've always been fans. Um, I mean, I was a listener of your show, you know, from, from the beginning and, and, you know, we, we, we still, you know, even though we're hearing a lot of the, these tragic stories of the ring, you know, Jason and I are still buying action figures every week and we're still (laughs) tuning in and watching, you know, like, like, you know, we're still watching all the shows every week and everything. So, you know, this, this hasn't, uh, you know, we're hopefully, you know, considered, uh, by you guys as, as one of you. Yeah. Like er everything about the show really comes from a place of love and how much we love wrestling and in a lot of ways we just we wanted to make the show so that people could kind of get on board or at least kind of see it through our eyes and see like like why we love it so much and a lot of it for us comes from like the human stories that are from the behind the scenes stories of wrestling and the shoulder pads and the shoulder pads i gotta tell you i think that you guys being fans really comes through the show you know i know it's not something you guys are going to participate in, 
but I saw the reels version of Benoit when I realized they were riding your coattails and I'd already seen your episode. So I wanted to watch that one. And there were two or three things in there that just stood out where I was like, well, whoever put this in here was not a wrestling fan. Cause that's not remotely close to accurate. And, and even a casual wrestling fan would have known the difference. So I think that's the difference is you guys are not just going in there and sort of pouring ingredients into a bowl and here's the show. No, you know how wrestling fans think and enjoy the show and, and what we would want to see. And I think that really is the difference in what you guys have done is yes, there may be some executive somewhere who greenlit this thing and put it on the air, but the folks who actually had their hands in it, uh, were wrestling fans and that comes through the show. And, and it's something that I think maybe we take for granted, but, but you guys and your voice <laughs> in the show is, is the best part. <laughs> well, thank well, you. Thank you. So yeah. Much. Like, uh, we're, you know, in a lot of ways we're very, we're, we're very critical of wrestling fans and just critical of everything that we really like, including like movies and everything else. And so, um, we, we approach this with such a critical, uh, wrestling eye in a lot of ways. And we're like our own, like worst critics. And even sometimes when we see people have like a, a criticism about our show, we'll agree with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very true. And it's also too like, you know, it stresses, it stresses our, our team out, you know, for sure when, you know, there's so many times when like they're working on something and then it bottlenecks because, you know, Jason and I like, you know, we'll, we'll be like, no, you can't have, you know, Eddie Guerrero wearing those tights in this shot because it's not the time when he would have had those tights or whatever, you know? And everyone's like, no. And then like, everyone's just, you know, they're not as like crazy about those details. Uh details. Yeah, they'll be like, well, you're going to hold up production for like 30 minutes, which is like forever on set. Like, you just don't do that. But we did it in this case because it was <laughs> <Yeah>. so important. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, those yeah. little details make the show. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least address uh, something that Evan, you and I have been talking about. Uh, there's been a little bit of talk based on a tweet sent out by Dave Meltzer that he was excluded from the opportunity to talk about the Benoit episode because... I think he's referring to you are a big fan yeah. of Bruce Pritchard's podcast. And I said, uh, when I was tagged in the tweet, Hey guys, that's just not true. Ask the producers, because to me, this is like a non-issue, but I know you have since spoken to Dave and sort of cleared the air on that. Is there anything you want to say yeah. on that? Yeah. Um, yeah, basically I, I had heard that too. Cause I was really looking forward to Dave's uh, opinion on the show. Um, and, uh, and, and that kind of blindsided me like, Whoa, what? Huh? Hmm. Um, you know, cause I will definitely admit being a fan of, you know, Bruce's podcast. Like, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know if I would have had the tip, uh, to do, to do the Gina Hernandez episode without, uh, Bruce's, uh, with, with, with you and Bruce's episode about, uh, when he, when you guys talked about Houston wrestling, that was amazing. Yeah. Um, and then of course, you know, getting Bruce to be part of the show, which you did, uh, as well. Um, back in season one, but, um, I, I, I will say that, you know, that, that is just not true in terms of Dave's participation and, 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 and that decision to have him, uh, be, you know, whether or not to have him part of the, to the, the, the Benoit episode. And when I, when I heard that, I definitely, um, you know, called him to talk about it because I wanted to clear the air on that, which was basically, you know, this is a, the, the whole creative uh, um, approach we wanted to take with telling the Benoit story was um, 
doing something from within the inner circle of the family and, and, and really hearing from the voices of the people that this affected the most. I mean, or, or as, as many people we could get to tell that story. Um, and, you know, Dave, you know, you know, he has a re- had a relationship with Chris. He knew Chris and 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 some of those people. But any external voices that we wanted from this inner circle, we wanted to be totally objective in order to walk us through some of the more, you know, difficult and and horrendous details of that weekend. And that was something that was, from a journalistic standpoint, was really um, important to us. Um, but I will have to say, as a wrestling fan, <laughs> being having to you know have something be falsely reported uh, in the Observer about you, and then having to call him and <laughs> clarify that it's ridiculous is a kind of weird, meta, bizarre rite of passage. Uh, I think. <laughs> no, listen. I, I thought the same thing. I was like, "This is great. These guys were supposed to be telling a story, and now they're the news themselves." But to be clear, yeah. Bruce Pritchard is not going to appear on season two, with the exception of an excerpt from a podcast here or there. But he's not involved with the process. He didn't say, "Guys, don't call Dave Meltzer." None of that is remotely true. And, and Dave is still no. a great resource for wrestling insider knowledge. And 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 I've been a twenty-something year subscriber to the Observer. But for whatever reason, Dave had that little footnote inaccurate. There was never a plan to approach it from that way. And he's not banned from the series at all. No. And, 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 and the wrestling observer is, uh, and this is what I told Dave too, is an incredible resource that, that, that we've used in all of our research, um, going into, you know, every story we've been telling. Yeah. And and I can't recommend it enough, but we also should mention before we wrap things up here that at the conclusion of uh, the new Jack episode tonight on vice, there is sort of a, uh, a talk show after that maybe was inspired by the talking dead. Tell everybody uh, what they can expect tonight after, uh, the new Jack episode ends. That's right. Um, so tonight, um, on after dark, which is the, uh, the wrestling talk show that vice has put together, even amidst a global crisis. Um, so, you know, there were plans for it to be more of like a, a show on a, um, you know, in a studio with guests in person, but of course, given the situation, um, that's not possible. So they're still delivering the content, um, even despite all that. But the uh, subject tonight is New Jack, and I believe that they're going to be talking with uh, New Jack himself will be appearing on the show, which I cannot wait to see uh, that, to see what his reaction is. Um, and uh, Tommy Dreamer, I think, is going to be on again, uh, talking some New Jack stories in ECW. Um, and, oh, man, it's escaping me. Who else is on tonight? But um, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. I don't think people are – oh, no, I'm sorry. I just Could remembered. they get Sandman? No, I'm, I, I totally just had a, a, a brain thing. Uh, Sandman's going to be on as well, and Mustafa. I think they got Mustafa. Oh, I'm not 100% sure, but they got Mustafa. So you're definitely going to want to tune into that. Well, I can't wait to see that. And on the heels of that, we're going to get the band back together here. It'll be me, Jason, and Evan. We're going to carry you through every single episode on the series. We hope to be the perfect companion piece. So you've got sort of cool bookends here. Uh, where you get to see some of the subjects that they're interviewing and then hear from the guys who helped put it together. Uh, really nice. And, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to breaking this down because the new Jack story, while it may have been a little more underground, it's maybe the most outrageous you're going to cover. Evan, if you don't mind run through, you know, after new Jack, what the rest of the season looks like, because there's been lots of rumor and innuendo about what the other topics might be. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pull it up right here. Um, Cause I don't have, I don't have this memorized. Um, <laughs> but basically what, where we're going after new Jack is, um, we are going to be going to the brawl for all. 
uh, a episode that Jason and I started work on season one and we're luckily able to finish for season two. And, uh, it's, it's an interesting one. It's, it's also a fun one as well. Um, but I know it's a subject that you've covered before Conrad. And so it'll be interesting to see what you have to say about that. Um, after that, we're going to the Jimmy Snuka story, which will be on, um, April 14th. Um, and talking about uh, the death of his girlfriend, Nancy Argentino, and the controversy surrounding that story and has it's been investigated over the course of 30-plus years. Um, from that highly anticipated episode, uh, which kind of surprised me, but uh, online a lot of people are looking forward to the assassination of Dino Bravo, which is going to be on April 21st. And then uh, the following week after that, on April 28th, is going to be our episode about the slap heard around the world, <laughs> which will be about... The story about Dr. D. David Schultz and his appearance, his infamous appearance on the ABC News uh, 2020 expose on wrestling back in 1983. Um, and then an episode, maybe the one that I'm looking forward to the most, uh, on May 5th will be the story of Herb Abrams and the uh, fall of the UWF. Uh, that's something uh, no one's going to want to miss. Trust me. Believe me. Um, and then the following week, May 12th, will be the uh, the Road Warriors episode that we're going to be, that we're working on uh, like crazy right now. Um, and then following that will be our season finale episode. Um, one, uh, that was really near and dear to my heart, uh, which will be on May 5th or sorry, May 19th, Tuesday, May 19th, uh, which will be on the final days of Owen Hart. Owen Hart is going to be the one that everybody's talking about. And, and I'm certainly looking forward to it, but the idea that you're doing something on Abrams, man, if you think this new Jack story is wild, that's another level. <laughs> is it not? Yeah. Holy. I, other <laughs> I, when we did, when we did when we did uh when we spoke to chris jericho on his podcast about it we were saying that the herb abrams reenactment set was the only time on this show where we had to have multiple close sets that's amazing <laughs> there's so much silliness coming your way in that episode but the dino bravo episode if i'm honest that might be the one i'm looking forward to the most i mean i know this sounds really really silly to talk about real people in, in a movie setting but I really enjoy mob and gangster movies and the idea that there was some sort of crossover between that sort of fictional world, at least in my movie mind, obviously it's a real thing or once upon a time was, but it sort of collides with wrestling and there's so many sort of unanswered questions about it. This is going to be a great season. I'm really thrilled to be involved with this, with you guys and have an opportunity yeah. to talk to you about the shows and, and I can't wait to, uh, to watch a new Jack again tonight with my wife for the second time. Because she's even asking, hey, when is that show coming on TV so we can watch it again? So we're pumped, man. We appreciate you taking time That's to join great. us today. And don't forget, when you're on social media, join the conversation on hashtag Dark Side of the Ring. And uh, be sure to follow them on Twitter if you're not already. It's at Dark Side of Ring. Or if you're on Instagram, it's at Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, but Twitter is where most of the wrestling content happens these days. And that's where I'll be. And uh, I'm looking forward to catching up with you guys after we, uh, we see New Jack. Sounds good, man. Awesome. Thanks, Conrad. Thank you. Appreciate it. I come out with the weapons, diving on shit. Put like blood and guts every goddamn night. The line in wrestling between cooperation and physical assault is blurred. He fucked some people's lives up. What I'm going to do to him, people going to be talking about this 10 years from now. He's stabbing his mother. Oh. Well, it's been 20 years and we still talking about it. Hey everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. 
We cover every box score from every game every day. Plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.